You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are really glad that you're here with us. So let me tell you how it started. Um, A friend of mine recently uh, turned 50. And so that prompted a conversation with my kids about how old I am. And so now, just to kind of give you an idea as to how this usually goes at my house, when I turned 40, my wife threw a big party for me. And um, Mia was about seven at the time. And she's like, Dad, a big party for you tonight. I said, yeah. And uh, she said, hey, how old are you, by the way? And I said, I'm 40. And she started to cry. And she hugged me. She's like, Dad, I don't want you to die. And so anyway, which really made for kind of a strange moment at the party. Um, But birthdays, if you're not aware, like I know many of you are young um, or younger. And so, but birthdays get a little stranger as you get older. So I'm turning 48 in a few weeks. And um, you aren't all that excited that your birthday's coming around. Oh, thank you. That was a really very delayed reaction. I had totally moved on. All right. Well, thank you. And now I'm moving on. Um, but it is weird. Like, as you get a little bit older, um, you start feeling like, you know, remember when you're a kid, you're like, is my birthday ever going to get here? And then you get older, your birthday comes around like, didn't we do this like two months ago? And uh, I feel like I'm aging in dog years. Um, but uh, so my son turned 12 um, a couple of months ago, and he was telling me, he's like, Dad, it's so weird. Like, I don't feel that much different than I did when I was 11 to now turning 12. And he's like, you know, when 46 to 47, was that a big change? I'm like, you know, what does 47 feel like? I'm like, 47 feels like, if I can give you a description, 47 feels like lower back pain (laughs) with a touch of heartburn and a splash of inflammation. Uh, So, (laughs) but there's just a big difference in... uh, being young and, uh, and then being in your late 40s. When my son turned eight a couple of years ago, it was amazing to me the messages that he got. Like, he got a message from Toys R Us. And, poor, man, Toys R Us, pour one out for them. So, uh, but Toys, <laughs> kind of a funny, weird joke. Um, but Toys R Us, they sent him a, a postcard, like, Xander, happy birthday, here's a coupon, next time you want to come by. He got a, a message from GameStop saying, hey, happy birthday, here's a coupon. Um, last year on my birthday, I got an email from the urgent care that I go to. <laughs> I got an e- a happy birthday email from the Publix Pharmacy, <clears throat> and I got a shout-out from a local funeral home, which was really the worst one, and they said, we're eagerly awaiting for you to become our customer. And... Uh, and that, that's just, man, it just gets weird. This is the other day, I'm, I'm in the bathroom looking in the mirror, and I'm, my wife is in there too, and, uh, and I'm like, man, they're getting so big. And, uh, and she says, um, she's like, I know the kids are growing up so fast. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm talking about the hair growing out of my ears. And, um, <clears throat> but, but I'm telling you, man, it's, you know, one of the things you learn as you get older is that these bodies are not built to last forever. They have an expiration date like milk. And uh, which really, in fact, maybe even better to describe it would be like the other, the other thing, best used by. Um, because, you know, things, it's like you better, if you're going to do something, you better do it before this date. <coughs> which, by the way, at my house, I treat that as the same as expiration. 
I don't know who these maniacs, well, I know who these maniacs are. My wife is one of them. That like, she's like, oh, that's just a suggestion. I watched my wife over a week ago just take a drink out of milk that was past the date. And I'm like, how could you be so reckless? And uh, that is like a law. Anyway, so, but my point is, is that um, because th- there is stuff, like I feel like at 47, I can do not everything, but most things that I did in my 20s, except now there's just a price to pay the next day. And uh, so, but like, like my son, as I told you, he's 12. My son can fall asleep on the ground in any position. And when he wakes up, hey, how'd you sleep? Oh, I slept amazing, right? That's life when you're 12. At 47, if I fall asleep in the wrong position, God forbid I use a different pillow um, or I just adjust my sleep number by one, I will barely be able to walk in the morning or not be able to turn my head. Like, what happened? Like, you know, I slept wrong. Like, really? That's what, that's what happened. Um, but I'm telling you, listen, our bodies are talking to us and they're talking to us all the time that they are not built to last forever. Why? Because we have a body that's built for earth. But the cool thing is, is that God has a body for us that is actually built for eternity. And this is the point of Paul's message at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if you aren't aware, this is, if you can believe it, the 21st message in our series in 1 Corinthians. And by the way, we're finishing next week. So this will be the end of the, you know, so be here for the grand finale. And, um, but we're in a 21st message of a series that we've been calling a beautiful mess because that's what this church was. Um, so the apostle Paul planted the church at Corinth. And if you're not aware as to where Corinth is, Corinth is a city in Southern Greece. And he had spent a little over two years there. And then he left to go plant more churches in the region. He left local leaders there to continue running and leading the church. And he got word that the church was totally out of control, full of division and infighting. And so he writes them the letter that we've been studying telling them that he's encouraging them on how to be united in a world that is so divided. Now, we've been doing this for the last 20 messages, so let me just, so we can finish strong. One of the things we've been doing every week is giving you kind of the uh, 35,000-foot view of the book, so you really understand how the book is divided. But the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians are corrective in nature. They are Paul dealing with all the problems that were happening in the church. And then when he transitions in chapter 7, he starts answering the questions that they had. And so in chapter 7, the question they had was about marriage and singleness and how does that work for Christians. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, he deals with a very specific issue of meat that's offered to idols. But more importantly, he talks about how do Christians disagree in a way that they don't vilify the other person. And what Paul does is that he talks about the two types of people, that there are people who are strong in the faith, and he says to them, you might have to curb your freedom for the sake of those who are weak. And then he tells those who are weak that they need to grow up. And he says, here's how you know that someone is weak in the faith, and that is that they are always offended. So he says, if you're always offended, it's a sign that you're weak in the faith. And then in chapter 11, (coughs) Paul changes gears, and he talks about church services and how things ought to operate in a way that honors God. In chapters 12, 13, and 14, he talks about spiritual gifts, that all of us have spiritual gifts. And the best thing that we can do is discover what those gifts are and then deploy those gifts as we're all members of the body of Christ. And then in chapter 15, which is what we've been studying for the last couple of weeks, he introduces the most important topic of all. In fact, many scholars say that 1 Corinthians 15 is the most important chapter in the Bible. 
He talks about the resurrection of Jesus because if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, this is the argument that he makes, then nothing that we've talked about matters. But if the resurrection did happen, then everything that we've talked about matters a great deal. And so he lays the foundation, and in the first message we did in chapter 15, he explains what the gospel is, the good news, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. The middle section of this chapter, he explained how the resurrection, how it impacts us, that the resurrection is the beginning of God making everything that's wrong in this world right. And that includes our bodies. Just like how Jesus rose again and had a body that was built for eternity, we're going to experience that same thing. And when we step into eternity, get a body that is built for eternity. And that's what he's going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about. Because the resurrection of Jesus isn't just this theological reality that's disconnected from the rest of our lives. Instead, it is a picture of our future selves. And listen, it is the comfort and the promise that we have for those who have left us and stepped into eternity before us. But it's also this beautiful future reality that we all need to know because it's going to happen to us at some point. So we're going to start in chapter 15 in verse 35, and here's what we read. He says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body That shall be, but merely grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's the glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a supernatural body. There is a natural body and there is a supernatural body or a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual was not first, but the natural, afterward the spiritual. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, if you pause there and give me your text, I know know it's a long section to read. But when it comes to the resurrection body, there's three things we're going to talk about. The first is this, is that your future body is illustrated in nature. Now, this is a little challenging for several reasons. One of them being is that Paul says, and if you go back to verse 35, he says, someone is going to ask, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And Paul says, that's a foolish question. And why is it a foolish question? And it's not that Paul's trying to um, call people names. He's saying that why, why is it foolish? Be- and his answer is because nature has been showing you, nature itself has been showing you how resurrection works. And you might think about this, whatever it is that you had for breakfast or you're going to have for lunch or maybe what you had for dinner last night is showing you how resurrection works. If you decide that you're going to eat an orange later today, you're going to eat that orange and inside that orange are seed. If you take seed and put it in the ground, 
It'll take some time, but that seed will turn into a tree. That tree will bring forth oranges. And then that, those oranges, you know what they'll have inside them? More seed to continue perpetuating seed. But it's interesting, though, that he says that you put a seed in the ground, the seed dies. And after the seed dies is when this new life comes about. And so he's saying that this process of death, burial, and resurrection is all around us. We just have to be willing to see it because it's visible pretty much everywhere that we look. And Paul says, just like a seed is sown in the ground, the human body, when a person dies, is sown in the ground, and what comes out is something new. In fact, what Paul does in verses um, 39, 40, and 41, as we read, he he quotes, essentially, or references the days four, five, and six of creation. And he talks about what was created on those days, different types of bodies that were created. That is, uh, man, animal, fish, birds, and then celestial bodies. Um, and then each of these, he says, each of these bodies have a glory. And what that means is it has a reason that makes them unique and wonderful. And he says in verse 42, he says, but the resurrection of the dead is the same way. And these bodies that Paul mentions from Genesis are built for their surroundings, right? Fish, bird, animals, men, we are built for earth. Celestial bodies are built to exist in what we call outer space. Now, just if you're not aware, in the Jewish culture, they talked about three heavens. And, um, and I say this because if you read the Bible or you read some commentary, it might talk about, um, you know, like if you read 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the third heaven. So what does that mean? In the Jewish culture, they didn't say outer space. They called that the second heaven. So, idea, so what they would say is like the sky, the atmosphere, that was the first heaven. Um, outer, what we call outer space, they would call the second heaven. The third heaven is God's dwelling place. And this is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. It's what the writer of Hebrews talks about when he talks about Jesus having passed through the heavens. And so what Paul says now is that our natural bodies are sown or buried in corruption. Now, in our culture, we talk about something corrupt to mean something is kind of shady or that maybe there's some computer code that is corrupt or a politician is corrupt or whatever. But the word in the Greek simply means that it's decayed. And so someone passes from this life to the next, the body begins to decay. And so our bo- what he's saying is our body is sown in decay, but it's raised incorruptible or literally it would be <coughs> undecayable. And I know that that's not a real word in the English language, but listen, words are there to be invented. So if you want to feel free to use it, just give me credit for it, that I created that one. And so, but that's what he's saying, that it's, it's, it's sown in decay, but it's raised something that cannot be decayed. And so you see this happen, that it shows this opposite nature of the resurrection body to the natural body, that it's sown in dishonor or shame, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in honor. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. Now, that is one is a little bit misleading because we, I don't want you to think about it's a spiritual body like you're just like a disembodied spirit, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. And now I'm realizing, do you guys remember Casper the Friendly Ghost? Okay, very good. That was my friend that just turned 50. And uh, so, but, uh, but I love the amplified version of the Bible where it says this, and you see it up on the screen. He says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a supernatural body. And that's really the, the heart behind the passage. And this, this gets to the heart of what Paul is saying, that think about it. After the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus had abilities 
that he had never shown us before, that just his natural body uh, did not have. In fact, you see in John chapter 20, you'll see this on the screen. He says, then the same day, this is after the resurrection, the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, uh, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now think about that. These guys had found themselves locked in a room, doors shut, windows barred. I mean, nobody can get in, and Jesus just appears. And then, so his body doing something that had, never, had not been able to do previously, but his body was still bore the scars from the crucifixion. And it shows us, it tells us something that we are still going to be recognizable in our body that's built for eternity, but we're just going to have simply abilities that our current body doesn't have. Now, and I tell you this for many reasons, but <clears throat> listen, when you step into eternity and you're getting a tour of heaven and who knows how all of that works, and, uh, but you get your tour and then you might ask this question. You were like, man, I wonder where Pastor Bob is. And I'm going to be there. But I don't want you to look for like a middle-aged bald guy who still needs to drop a few pounds, right? I want you to look for a guy who's shirtless because he's totally ripped. And I don't want you to look for a guy who's bald. I want you to look for a guy who has a huge afro, multicolored like a snow cone because I'm going in a totally different direction um, in eternity. Now, I'll tell you this. I keep telling my kids, this is a conversation that comes up every couple of weeks at my house. I keep telling my kids that I'm going to buy a toupee and, um, and I, I'll tell them, like, we'll be at dinner, and I'm like, guys, I got, I got to talk about something serious. We need to make a family decision. They're like, what is it? And I'm like, look, I, I went to the store. I found this really nice toupee, and um, I'm thinking, and they're like, dad, you can't. And all three of them, like, you cannot. People already know you're bald. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I, I, I meet people all the time, and they, they, don't, they won't know that I'm bald. They're going to be like, oh, is that your hair? Sure is. I bought it. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, anyway, so I tried, I was like, look, I'm going to show you guys what it would look like. So I asked Livy if I could borrow some of her hair. This is what it looked like. This is from like a, two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm sorry, that looks fantastic. It really does. Just imagine a little more volume. <coughs> and so, anyway, you can, you can take that out. I don't think I've won this crowd over. Um, but here's what Paul is explaining. The natural body comes first, obviously, then the supernatural body, just like how Adam came first and then Jesus, the last Adam. And that right now we bear the image of the first Adam in our natural bodies, but eternally we'll bear the image of the last Adam. Why? Because right now we have a body that is built for life on earth, but we're going to have in the future a body that is built for heaven. And this is a body. You know what's amazing about this body? This, this body that we're going to get doesn't get sick. It doesn't decay. It doesn't stop working. This is a body that does not eat Advil, right? Um, it's, just, it's built for everything that God has for us. And so <clears throat> Paul goes on in verse 50. Look what he says. He says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ uh, will, be, will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on, uh, corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you about your future body is that your future body is inheriting transformation. That's why when Paul says that the sting of death, he talks about the sting of death is sin. Um, it's, it talks about the pain that death brings, not for the, the person who has moved from this life to the next, but for those of us that are still alive. That word sting could be translated, uh, better translated stinger. And it refers to the stinger of a bee because the only thing that makes bees frightening is the stinger, right? Because nobody cares much about a bee that doesn't have a stinger, which can't live very long anyway, but a bee without a stinger isn't frightening. Now, <coughs> we moved a few months ago, but in, in our old house, uh, when we first bought it years and years ago, uh, there, there was this little playhouse out back in our, in our backyard. And the people that we had uh, bought the house from, which is an amazing story. The people that we bought the house from, uh, we ended up sharing the gospel with them. They gave their life to Jesus. They uh, started coming to church here. They were baptized. Anyway, it was really amazing. And then they, they moved, which was the reason that they were selling their house. And so, but anyway, so they gave us this playhouse and um, a stray cat moved in. And the stray cat, even though I put up eviction notices, um, it was not cooperating with this. Apparently, it thought there was an eviction moratorium um, even back then. And so, <clears throat> so I had to take matters into my own hands. Now, I'm going to tell you what I did, and then I'm going to tell you why. When I tell you what I did, some of you are going to be upset. Once I tell you why, most of you will be calm. Those of you that are not calm, feel free to not email me about this, okay? So, Anyway, so be, when, the, when the cat would not move out of the playhouse, because my, my kids wouldn't go in, I took a raid bomb, and I put a raid bomb inside the playhouse, because raid bombs, not, they don't just kill roaches, they also annoy cats. Now, um, and, I, and, and, and you're like, how oh, dare you, you just, you're, you're mad. Anyway, uh, and if, listen, if you're a cat person, God bless you. I believe there's going to be cats in heaven, Okay. How else will we get the strings for the harps? And so, <clears throat> and if someone is not laughing, they don't know where we get harp strings from, so you can fill them in later. So, but my problem is, so here's what happened, is that the reason the cat was living there is because I, one day I was at I, I, my office at home, I had this big window that overlooks the backyard, and so I was sitting at my desk, and I'm looking out the window. When I see the cat come out of the playground, and this bird flies by. And it, this is the most amazing thing. The cat jumped in the air, caught the bird, and then took the bird back into the, playground, the playhouse. Um, and they were playing a game called dinner <laughs> because the bird starts to devour, uh, the, the cat starts to devour the bird. Now, you know how when you eat, um, you clear off your plate, you throw stuff in the dishwasher? Cats don't do that. Cats just leave this bird carcass, and anyway, and that bird carcass starts to attract bugs and rodents. So once again, that's why I had to evict the cat from the, the playhouse. So anyway, so 
I get, I get him out. Now, about a week or so later, everything is fine at the playhouse. Then I'm standing in front of my kitchen sink. We have a window that looks to the backyard. And I see a swarm of bees. Now, when I say a swarm of bees, I, I know you're thinking like, oh, it's like some bees. No, no, no. I, have you ever seen, maybe you've experienced one, or you have seen a picture um, of a tornado. Imagine a tornado of bees. Which So I call a bee expert <coughs> who deals in bees all day long. So I call him and I say, look, I've got, I don't know what this is, but there is a tornado of bees in my backyard. Can I just shoo them away? And the lady on the phone says, do not do that because if you do, you will die. And, um, and, uh, and she says, because they're going to turn on you and you will not live to tell the story. So anyway, so now, by the way, I have become, I know so much information about bees, which is 100% more information than I ever wanted to know about bees. So just to give you a quick understanding of the political nature of the bee community is that the queen has these scouts. Scouts want to impress the queen. So they go out to try to find a good place for these, uh, for uh, a hive. So then they find a place and they're like, look, this is a place that uh, a cat just got evicted from. This looks perfect. (laughs) Then the scout comes back and says, hey, we just found this place and um, this guy just cleared it out for us with a raid bomb. And so then the bee sends these supervisors, and I'm not even joking about this. This is literally how it works. So the bee, they send these bee supervisors out. The bee supervisors then do the, uh, check the work of the scouts, and they're like, you're right, this is a fantastic location for us to create a, new, a brand new community. Then <coughs> they start working. That's when the swarm comes in to start this process because they do not want the queen to have to wait to show up to her new palatial home. And so that's what's going on there. So when I saw the thousands of bees, which by the way, the lady told me, if you see the swarm, it's minimum 10,000 bees. And I'm thinking, was I better off with the cat? I don't know. So then I got to call a guy to then get rid of the bees. The bee guy was as happy as could be because he's got like half this big honeycomb and he takes them and he takes the bees with them. And best I can tell, they're all living together in harmony. So then everything is fine. Week later, I see more scouts back. They're like, no, we're really committed to this location. We got all the building and zoning permits approved. We're going. And so I got to call the bee guy back and then he takes care of it. A week later, I'm in my backyard. And I'm walking past this playhouse and I see a frog in front of the playhouse. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I've done, but I will let your people go. All right, but no more plagues. All right, that's it. No more plagues. And so (coughs) now (laughs) I'm telling you the weirdest things happen to me. And it happens to me so I can tell you these stories. So now I tell you the reason I tell you all this is because there is coming a day when death is going to die. And it's going to be like a bee without a stinger. That there is no sting anymore. That there's going to be a point in time when death is no longer part of our lives. Right now, death has a sting. And if you've lost someone, you've felt the sting of death. But the sting of death only stings the living. And by the way, let me just, if I can, just since we're talking about this, um, 
Christians get a little bit weird when it comes to dealing with loss or grieving loss. Um, and we kind of go to two extremes. There's the one extreme where we just totally fall apart and we're, we're grieving like people who are hopeless um, because we don't understand the promises of God. This is why the Bible tells us not to grieve like those who don't have hope, right? Paul would write that in 1 Thessalonians. But then the other extreme is that we act like it's no big deal. And we're like, yeah, man, don't grieve for me. I'm, I'm in a better place. You throw me a party. And it's like, and here's the thing that people don't realize. Um, when you have a funeral for someone, the funeral might be about them, but it isn't for them. You follow what I'm saying? And so, and that's the point. The funeral is honoring the person who has passed, but it is for us because we're the ones that are grieving loss. And so, um, my dad died about two months ago. <clears throat> now, my dad, um, he loved Jesus. His faith was strong. Um, when, when he was in his last week of life, he had 24-hour uh, nurse care. And I would, I would drive down um, for probably about the last month or two. I was driving every day to go see him. And, um, and I was sitting with him, and the nurse was asking him questions. And they said, you know, every day we ask him these questions to see kind of where he is cognitively. And, um, and so they'd say, Mr. Frank was, do you know where you are? And he'd say, yes. Where are you? Close to the Holy Spirit. And, um, and then, and then she would say, and she'd be like, whoa. And she's like, is that in America? And, uh, and he'd say, uh, listen, I'm in Miami. Uh, but, and then he like rattled off his address. And then he said, but, but spiritually I'm ready to see the kingdom of God. Um, and, uh, and by the way, I, I knew I was talking about this and I just, I was going to wear a tie. And the reason my dad, um, for years and years, um, from the time that we were in the movie theater, he attended, he attended church here and only because I wouldn't let him go anywhere else. Um, and so, but every week he would come in and he would always tell me like, Robert, that was really good preaching. And, um, and then he would say something about whatever it is that I was wearing. And, um, but every time I wore a tie, he would say, you know, today you look like a pastor. And, um, and, and, and so, which by the way, he never wore a tie, which is the part that he's like, you know, why don't you wear a tie? You just look like, and I'm like, how come you don't wear a tie? He's like, I'm not going to wear a tie. I'm not a pastor. And, uh, and I'm like, is it, there's like no pastor store as to where we shop. And so, <coughs> and so anyway, um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, since I'm talking about him, I figured I'd wear a tie today. And so anyway, but, um, but we, uh, his viewing was on Friday and then we did the funeral on Saturday. And then Sunday we had services here and my daughter Livy got baptized and then we had a big party for her. And then on Monday I was dropping a buddy of mine who came into town for the funeral. We dropped him off, I dropped him off at the airport. And so he's flying out of Fort Lauderdale and I'm driving west on 595 to, uh, to come home. And I saw this billboard. I don't remember what the billboard said, but um, I was like, oh, and I grabbed my phone and I went to call my dad and I felt... I felt the sting, and, and I just, I fell apart, and, and um, because I re- I, that was the moment that I realized that if I live another 50 years, it's going to be 50 years before my dad and I talk again, and listen, that's what we're grieving. My point is this, and I don't know if this is for you today, or this might be you a year, or five years, or 10 years from now. You got to let yourself grieve. Grieving doesn't mean that you lack faith. Grieving simply means that death has stung and it hurts. You know, Jesus, when he was at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead and he still wept because of the sting of death. You know, 
The book of Isaiah in chapter 52, it talks about the Messiah, Jesus, and it says that he is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Here's my point. You don't get through this by denying your grief. You get through this by embracing your grief and allowing the God of all comfort to comfort you. And you know what the cool thing is? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, he says he gives thanks to the God of all comfort who comforts us in our time of need so that we are able to comfort others. You see, that's why the promises of these verses are so great. But he says in verses, and, and my dad, he, he so wanted this. Um, in verses 50 to 54, Paul talks about a generation of people who aren't going to experience their resurrection body like everyone else in history. Most of us, <coughs> most people will die and then be transformed like we spoke about previously. But there's one generation that are going to be transformed while they're still alive. And this is speaking of the rapture of the church when Jesus comes back for his church before the unfolding events of Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, about two years ago, I did a short series that I called The Beginner's Guide to the End of the World. And I talked about Bible prophecy in the future. I talked about this in depth. But this is what Paul is describing. The moment when Jesus comes back for his church and our bodies are transformed into something that's built for eternity. And that's why he says, we won't all sleep. <coughs> that is die, but we will all be changed. Every time um, I, I hear about a new parent, um, I write them a card and I always include that verse because I feel like that's a good verse for parenting. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And uh, I want to put that verse in the nursery, right? It's totally out of context, but it still kind of works. Um, just like there's a verse that I want to put up in the men's bathroom that from Philippians chapter four that says, brothers, aim for perfection. But, <laughs> if you email me about that, I'll read that. I, I probably deserve that. I probably, so, let's move on quickly. Uh, but he says, but corruption must put on immortality. That is, that a body built for earth has to put on a body that's built for eternity. And when that happens, that is the day that death dies. Now, don't be mistaken, when a believer in Jesus dies, they take their last breath on planet earth, they take their first breath in heaven. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians, he would say, we are confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We'll be with Jesus when we step into eternity, but there is this body that he has created for us that is built for eternity and that is not going to decay like the one that we have. And that day, death dies, and it becomes like a bee without a stinger powerless. And then lastly, verse 58, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, lastly, <coughs> and that is that your future body is your immovable promise. Now, Paul sums up this amazing chapter by saying, therefore, and if you've been around Calvary, uh, for a while, you know this. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for, all right? And he's saying this. Paul is saying, in light of the fact that the resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament, that's the first part of chapter 15, in light of the fact that resurrection is part of God's plan for the future, in light of the fact that your future is tied up in the resurrection and the resurrection is part of how God is making everything wrong in the world right, in light of that, make your faith immovable, 
Make your service considerable and make your effort valuable. That means we're willing to work hard. We're willing to suffer, to undergo hardship, and to be sacrificial because we believe that what we believe is true. You see, the truth is we live in a culture that gives up far too easily. And if it's not easy, we think that God isn't in it. And listen, sometimes, this is so huge, sometimes the process is just as important as the destination because the process is how God is changing you along the way. And the process is what makes you the person who's able to handle the blessing the day the blessing comes. But too often, listen, we give up. And we give up so easily. I, it's, it's like one day, my, when my daughter was, Mia was about seven years old, she came into my office at home. <coughs> and she said, she was very frustrated. I asked her, what's wrong? She says, I'm trying to use the TV, but it won't work. So I go into the family room and the TV's working fine. I'm like, the TV's fine, what's wrong? She's like, well, there's a show I want to watch, but it's not on demand. And then I start to explain to her that not everything is on demand. And I was telling her that when I was a kid, TV shows, there was a time to watch shows. You couldn't just decide when you're going to watch a show. That show was on at 3.30, and if you missed it, you missed it. In fact, I was telling her that there was a time when TV ended. After the 11 o'clock news, and maybe you remember this, they would play the national anthem. And then at the end of the national anthem, they'd show the American flag, and then, oop, until 6 a.m. Like, TV was closed. It's just like, hey, we're done for the night. We'll see you in the morning. And that's not like that anymore. And so, and then, you know, and she's like standing in front of the TV with the remote. She's like, how did it work? How would the remote work when you were a kid? And I'm like, we didn't have remotes. You know what the remote looked like at my house? It looked like me. Because I'd be sitting with my mom and my stepdad and they'd be like, Robert, change the channel. <coughs> and I'd get up. And by the way, there was only like four channels. And so I'd get the and then I would get to the channel, and then they'd be like, all right. And by the way, before cable, and forgive me for, like, dating myself, but we didn't, you know what we had, how you got signal? You had bunny ears. And because we were Cuban, we didn't have new bunny ears. We had, like, these ones that were given to us because they broke. And then my stepdad, he took a coat hanger, and he would shove it in there, and then he would take this concoction with Reynolds Wrap tinfoil, so apparently he could get, like, signals from outer space, and then we would try that, and then they would say, Robert, change the channel. It's, 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 it's 8 o'clock. Brrr, all right, does that work? All right, and then the, t- the thing would go out, like, all right, move the, move the ears. Okay, and then I'd put my hand out, because the TV was, like, the size of an armoire, and, uh, and then I'd say, and i put my hand, hey, is it good? And they're like, hey, right there. And I'd go to leave, like, put your hand back. Okay, that's good. Put your other arm up. Now stand there for an hour. And I'm telling you, like, you know how many episodes of Dallas I, wa- I sat like that? It's like, I didn't know who, what any of the people looked like. All I knew, dun, 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 dun. all I knew was the theme song. And so, which by the way, all that passing through my body, I think like all that like electricity is why I think I have some of the problems I have now. And so, look for my comedy special on Netflix. (laughs) But listen, listen, let me tell you something. If you're expecting God to make every problem go away on demand, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And by the way, it's not God's fault. 
it's going to be the fault of our own unrealistic expectations. Because we forget that the process matters just as much as the destination. Because listen, whether you realize it or not, everything you want in your life is on the other side of trusting God and making your faith immovable, making your service considerable, and making your effort valuable. You see, our faith is immovable because it's built on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And listen, we're watching it. If, if you're paying attention, there's like these high-profile people go on social media and they're like, I'm not a Christian anymore. And they're like announcing the deconstruction of their faith. And when they announce it, it's amazing to me. about They talk about all this stuff that isn't essential uh, or central to Christianity. And they start talking about like Noah's Ark, how old the earth is. And, uh, you know, and then they'll, they'll talk about some things that, that maybe hit closer home. You know, how could a loving God send people to hell? What about evil in the world? And listen, those questions have answers. But can I tell you something? In our culture, we struggle with the idea of evil and with the idea of uh, eternal punishment. But do you know that most other cultures in the world have no problem with this? Other cultures in the world, they have a problem with God being merciful and forgiving, which is what we don't have a problem with. And listen, but here's the reality. If there is a God who created you, why would you think that there wouldn't be areas where you and God disagree? Like, does it make sense? It's like, oh, you know, I I only want to worship God if he agrees and sees everything the way I see it. Like, listen, here's a good thing to understand is that um, if your God always agrees with you, it's very possible you could be worshiping yourself. But for Christianity to be true, only one thing needs to be true. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. And you hear me say this all the time because you might find yourself in a college classroom or you might find yourself in a living room with people who aren't Christians or maybe are hostile to Christianity and they want to trip you up. And what about this and what about that? And listen, you don't have to have an answer for every question that comes up. You just have to ask this question. Did the resurrection happen? Because if the resurrection of Jesus happened, then Christianity is true. And now the burden of proof is on the skeptic as to why they don't believe. Listen, when my faith is immovable because it's firmly rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, it causes my service to be considerable because there is a relationship between what you invest in and what you stand for. Part of how you reveal what you believe is in by what you do. And sometimes, can I tell you this, that people who aren't Christians understand this better than those of us who are? Because non-Christians believe that if you are a Christian, it should impact every part of your life. This is why people will say, oh, you know, church is full of hypocrites. (coughs) And once again, it's because sometimes as Christians, we think, well, well, that's just, you know, business is business and church is church. No, as Christians, our faith should impact everything in our lives. And once again, unbelievers believe that like, if you really believe it, it should, it should impact everything. Not because we're looking for people to be perfect, but they're looking for people who are trying to do better. You see, the early Christians, they withstood persecutions, beatings, they were thrown to lions, and ultimately death. And they would not recant because they saw Jesus alive. And that immovable faith cause them to live a certain way. That's why Paul, in another letter, he would say this, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 
That's why Paul says at the end of verse 58, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. That means your effort is valuable. Nothing that you do is wasted. Nothing that you do is meaningless. And you know what's amazing about that to me? Is that this is the recipe for everything that matters in your life. You think of an area in your life, you say, yeah, that part of, that, that part of my life is dead. Here's the good news. We believe in resurrections. You want a godly marriage that lasts a lifetime? Then have a faith that's immovable and serve your spouse considerably and give valuable effort knowing that nothing that you do is in vain. Do you want kids who love Jesus and walk with him? Then have a faith that's immovable. Like really live for Jesus. Serve and teach your kids considerably and give valuable effort knowing that none of it's in vain. And if you want a faith that impacts those who you love that are far from God, then we need a faith that is immovable no matter the circumstance, that serves others considerably and visibly demonstrates what we believe. Because we want people to see that our lives have been transformed by the power of God. This is why things like communion are so powerful. Communion reminds us that the process matters and that the blessing of resurrection comes after death and burial. Communion is this reminder that we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and they're going to hand out the communion elements. And we're going to partake of those elements together after the band sings. Pastor George. Still in your presence, all the noise dies down. Lord, speak to me now. You have all my attention. I will linger and listen. I can't miss a thing. Lord, I know my heart wants more of you. My heart wants something new so high surrender all all I want is to live within your love being done by who you are my desire is to know you deeper Lord I will open up again throw my feet Desperate for a touch of Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. Then he says in verse 25, in the same manner he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you that we can be reminded that after death and burial come resurrection, that Lord, there really is a glorious future for every person who loves you, that at the end of our lives, you're waiting for us 
with a body that's built for eternity, but even more, you're waiting for us right now to do a powerful work in us, through us, and for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.